Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the White Witch Podcast with me, Carly. Hope you are all well, witches. On today's podcast, we'll be talking all about the fairy realm. But to kick things off, our book review today is for Spirited, written by Julie Cohen. This book took me a little while initially to get into, but once I did, I couldn't put it down. And I felt that sad feeling at the end when it was finished and the characters had left my life. This book was surprising in its storyline, lots of twists and turns, and I couldn't predict the outcome at all. I loved the blend of settings between Victorian high society in Dorset and mystical India. This is the story of Viola, who has a talent for photography and manages to capture spirits of the dead by her camera. Also Henriette, a spirit medium who travels and demonstrates her abilities to the elite. This book was a wonderful book to read as a follow-up to our last Witch Podcast episode about Helen Duncan. And of course, our last episode, which was an interview with Sue Rochford, Psychic Medium. This book shines a light on how many psychic mediums at the time would showcase their talents. And of course, set in Victorian times, there was a huge fascination with this work. My favourite character was Viola. I loved seeing her character develop throughout the book. I was fascinated and somewhat chilled by the photos she takes of the dead and the visions of their spirit that appear within her photos. I loved the explanation of how taking old photographs worked. So with the use of specific chemicals and dark rooms, and it made me think of my dad who really gave me a love of photography, 
he used to have a dark room in our first house in the cupboard under the stairs. And I just remember all the trays and so on, all the paraphernalia that he had. I also loved Nan, the little girl in the story, who develops a friendship with Viola. She's a little village girl. She comes from quite a poor family and she's just simply adorable. It's interesting to see the contrast between the elite and the poor too within the book. And this also comes up with the main characters. There were three parts at the end of the book that blew my mind and I did not see come in. I love this book, although a slow starter for me, once it had bewitched me, I was hooked and I would absolutely recommend it. Although linked to the book, but also like on a separate note, I cried at one entry of the book where the author added in a letter that Charles Dickens wrote following the atrocities that happened in India, which is what part of the book is centered around. And I'll read it to you now. A letter from Charles Dickens to Baroness Angela Georgina Burdett Coots on blue paper, written in blue ink with a goose quill pen, held in the collection of the Morgan Library, New York. I wish I were the commander in chief in India. The first thing I would do to strike that Oriental race with amazement not in the least regarding them as if they lived in the Strand, London, or at Camden Town, should be to proclaim to them in their language that I considered my holding that appointment by the leave of God to mean that I should do my utmost to exterminate the race upon whom the stain of the late cruelties rested, and that I begged them to do me the favour to observe that I was there for that purpose and no other, and was now proceeding with all convenient dispatch and merciful swiftness of execution to blot it out of mankind and raise it off the face of the earth. Charles Dickens is one of my absolute heroes. I know it's a strange association, but I love how, like Hecate, he always fought for the underdog and he fought for much social equality as a result of his own adversity with his father regularly putting the family into poverty. His father went into like a debtor's prison and so on. And I know I'm in no place to talk about the news, politics or the war. That's not really why you come to this podcast. But this part of the book made me think of the horrors of what's happening to our fellow mankind in the Ukraine. My dad just played in the last few days with a group of 200 musicians against the Ukraine, well, what's going on in Ukraine against the war in Trafalgar Square in London on behalf of Ukraine. And I cried watching it like a proud parent watching their child perform in a nativity, lol, because it's the same thing I do when anyone I care about does anything with their talents, but also because of the cause. I think it's the shared camaraderie of everyone together working to help others in another country, so people that we don't know, but it reminds us that we all are connected. I'm getting emotional always. This letter by Charles Dickens also reminds us that it's not an entire country of people that wanted this to happen to the Ukraine. It makes me think of the Russian tennis player who wrote on a camera like, please, no war. The situation in the Ukraine has been on my mind a lot. 
me, who is someone who never speaks on anything like this, but pictures of people having to evacuate has deeply moved me. So mainly as well, like also seeing people with their cats and their dogs and, you know, having to leave where they live and everything, but also hearing the people having to let their cattle and their horses loose. I'm just sad to say it's always hearing about the animals that moves me the most. Of course, the people, but with animals, it just gets me. I wanted to propose that perhaps this full moon coming or whenever you can, you might consider a spell for peace and protection for the people of Ukraine. I'm never one to really partake in any shared spells and so on, but I feel compelled to do something alongside donating. I'm going to stop being a melt now. I put an outline for a spell for peace in the show notes if that helps you. But please, if you have any you would rather use, please do. I think it's just the intention that counts. I had to go away and pull myself together again. So without further ado, let's get on with this. (laughs) I also thought this made me think of hearing about witches in the Second World War all working their magic for peace. During the late 1930s, a British civil servant named Gerald Gardner returned to his home after many years traveling abroad. Gardner, who would later become the founder of modern Wicca, joined a coven of witches in the New Forest. According to legend, on Le Mass Eve, August 1st, 1940, Gardner and several other New Forest witches got together near the town of High Cliff by the Sea to cast a spell on Hitler to keep the German military from invading Britain. The ritual that was performed that night became known by the sort of military-sounding codename Operation Cone of Power. There is very little information about what the ritual actually involved, but some historians have pieced bits of it together. Wiccan author Philip Heselton wrote in his book, Witch Father, in a forest clearing surrounded by pines, they marked out a witch's circle, the stage for their magical efforts. In place of a traditional bonfire, perhaps for fear of being spotted by enemy aircraft or local air defence wardens, A flashlight or shuttered lantern may have been placed to the east of the witch's circle in the direction of Berlin as a focus for their magical assaults. Naked or sky-clad, as we can say, they began to dance in a spiralling pattern around the circle, building up to the communal ecstatic state that they believed can control magical forces. Gardner wrote about this magical working in his book, Witchcraft Today. He said, witches did cast spells to stop Hitler landing after France fell. They met, raised the great cone of power and directed the fort at Hitler's brain. You cannot cross the sea. You cannot cross the sea. Not able to come. Not able to come. Just as their great grandfathers had done to Bonet and their remote forefathers had done to the Spanish Armada with the words, go on, go on, not able to land, not able to land. I'm not saying they stopped Hitler. All I say is that I saw a very interesting ceremony performed with the intention of putting a certain idea into his mind. And this was repeated several times afterwards. And though all the invasion barges were ready, the fact that Hitler never even tried to come. 
Ronald Hutton says in Triumph of the Moon that Gardner later described the ritual in even more detail to Doreen Valiente, claiming that the frenzied dancing and chanting involved had resulted in ill effects on many of the participants later. In fact, Gardner alleged that a few of them had died from exhaustion over the course of the next few days. Although Gardner and his fellow magic makers never revealed the location of the ritual, a few authors have tried to pass the site out. Philip Cargon says in his book, The Book of English Magic, this is the book I reviewed on our last podcast, that it was more likely in the clearing where the Rufus Stone sits, and this was allegedly the place where King William III was fatally wounded with an arrow. Hesselton says in Witchfather that on the contrary, the ritual more than likely happened somewhere near the Naked Man, a massive oak tree from which convicted highwaymen were hanged in a gibbet and left to die. Gordon White of Rune Soup explains why the idea of elderly pensioners scampering about in the woods to cast spells is not without its problems. Regardless of where it happened, the general consensus is that 17 or so witches indeed got together to put a hex on Hitler, with the end goal being to keep him out of Britain. So I know there's more of 17 of us that can get together and do this. So if there's anything you can do, if you want to take a look at the spell that I've put into the show notes, fantastic. But yes, hopefully you might join me in a spell for protection and peace for Ukraine. Join me after the break where we will escape to the fairy realm. Welcome back. Just before we get started, I wanted to tell you some exciting news all about an online workshop I will be hosting with Mark Wentworth. Mark came on the podcast previously and talked all about past lives. This workshop is called Seasons of the Witch. We look at the types of witches we could have been in our past lives. So a look at the wise women and cunning folk, what magic they worked then and the relevance to our craft today. We look at your past lives and wounds or gifts that you may have reincarnated with, how to hone these gifts and release these wounds. We also look at wounded goddesses and how we can, like them, embrace our power to move forward. We loosen the threads of time, thus allowing us to move through time to reconnect and find our own past life story where communing and working with nature's elements was a natural way of being. Somewhere along the way, it was decided that this way was a threat and something to be eradicated. We were ripped from Mother Earth and forced to only look up, losing connection and trust with our body wisdom and deeper sense of knowing. Somewhere back in time, we all carry a story of this kind. It is often this unhealed and unfinished story that both draws us to nature work and yet inhibits us and holds us back from fully embracing our true oneness with all that is. So let's welcome back into the fold these fearful, rageful and wounded women of old. This is a five-hour workshop experience taking place on Saturday 30th of April 
or Beltane Eve. I'm very excited that it will take place then. It'll be four hours of workshop and an hour of Q&As with me and Mark to ask whatever you like. This workshop will be recorded too and a copy sent out to you so that you can re-watch it and so on. It's £80 to sign up for a ticket and a link will be in the show notes and I would love to see you there. The Fairy Realm. I really wanted to get into this on today's podcast. Following a month of fairy witchcraft over on my Patreon, The White Witch Coven. There was so much I found out through researching content for that month's theme. And at the very end of our month, I found a whole new rabbit hole that I ended up going down in relation to the fairy realm that I desperately wanted to discuss on today's episode. I really wanted to understand how we were so much more connected to the fairy realm in times of old, but also how the fairy realm is said to be. I first discovered a while back that the sky in the fairy realm is said to always seem to be like twilight on earth as the fairy realm has no moon or sun and the light that emanates there is said to be the light of the earth as the fairy realm is a subterranean environment. The stars there are stars within the earth known as fairy stars. Their world is said to be illuminated by the hidden spirit within matter and the sounds of the roaring sea can be heard too throughout the fairy realm. Take a shot for every time you hear me say fairy realm. Time is different from ours there. It's said that a short period of time within the fairy realm might be centuries within our world. The belief of many is that the fairy realm is the land of the dead, so the underworld, and some people believe those who enter it have in fact long been dead and came back to the earth plane with an illusory body that crumbled into dust when they returned to our realm or dimension. It's said that the last 300 years are really when our world and the realm of the fairy have grown apart. This, of course, could be a very brief period of time to the Fae, simply days or a few months. It's said that as there is no sun or moon in the fairy realm, there is no rotational clock of nights, days or lunar cycles. In the fairy realm, everything is said to be intensified. It's not a fantasy land, but a primal land within both our consciousness and within the planet. We don't just imagine this realm as it does have a true nature and identity of its own and it exists even if we never think of it. It's said that if visited, a person returns truly changed. I found a quote by RJ Stewart who wrote the book The Underworld Initiation, A Journey Towards Psychic Transformation, where he states... At the very foundation of religion, mysticism and magic is an almost forgotten concept of power and light, not revealed in the sky or far away in divine dimensions, but utterly close, below and within the earth. With, of course, the below and within the earth statement, meaning the underworld or the fairy realm. I've come back to a fascination with the Fae as a result of my relationship with the Morrigan and, of course, the Tue de Danan, but also through listening to podcasts such as Strange Familiars, a wonderful podcast that talks about the veil being thin 
in other ways, such as sightings of like Sasquatches and so on and black dogs and me like genuinely I believe there is this veil and worlds that run in parallel to one another and every now and again I believe that they cross over perhaps accidentally I'm not sure but I think that's how we end up seeing things and existing in the same realm in some way and yes I absolutely do believe in fairies the more I go into it the more I just can't see how it's not a thing but that's me so with the thought of the fairyland being the underworld, it was, of course, denounced as hell by the church. And this is when the concept of like where hell comes from begins to make more sense to me because fairy belief was so rife. We know the church battled to stop people from making like fairy offerings, leaving prayers and tying ribbons and rags at like clouty trees or like hawthorn trees, you know, that was like the class as the fairy tree. And of course, they turned many a fairy goddess or god into a saint because people couldn't let go of them entirely or like refuse to. You can tell I get really excited when I'm like breathing deeply. On the Patreon, I released a really in-depth podcast episode about the hawthorn tree and its links to the fae. And that was a huge rabbit hole. The church even changed it so that the hawthorn tree that was so fae related started to be assigned to specific saints. And they saw it as symbolic of the battle the church had to convert the people from fae related beliefs. Anyway, that's my interpretation of how it all lines up, looking at different forms of research that I've seen. So the journey into the underworld is said to be where humanity, the land and the planet interact with one another, often through the agency of the Fae. The fairy realm was said to be seductive to many as it represented an image of beauty, peace, pleasures and luxury. And of course, the land of fate is said to reflect or mirror back to us our ideas or attitudes. It links to developing a deep and ongoing conscious relationship with the land, not as a resource, but as an ally. It's working to become a guardian of the land rather than exploiting it. The Ballad of Thomas the Rhymer is a traditional Scottish border ballad that describes an encounter between Thomas and the Fairy Queen, which gives us insight into the fairy realm and the journey throughout it. I don't know why I wrote this. This story is about a true person, a real boy. <laughs> oh no. Thomas Learmont, who was born in 1220 in Ursuldoon, now Alston in Scotland, who was considered a great prophet who has many prophecies attributed to him. As Thomas lay on Huntley Bank, a place on the descent of the Eldon Hills, which raised their triple crest above the celebrated monastery of Melrose, he saw a lady so extremely beautiful that he imagined she must be the Virgin Mary herself. Her appointments, however, were those rather of an Amazon or goddess of the woods. Her steed was of the highest beauty and at its mane hung 30 silver bells and nine which were music to the wind as she paced along. Her saddle was of royal bone, or ivory, laid over with orf ivory goldsmith's work. Her stirrups, her dress, all corresponded with her extreme beauty and the magnificence of her array. 
the fair huntress had her bow in hand and her arrows at her belt. She led three greyhounds in a leash and three ratches or hounds of scent followed her closely. She rejected and disclaimed the homage which Thomas desired to pay her so that passing from one extremity to the other, Thomas became as bold as he had as first been humble. The lady warned him he must become her slave if he wished to prosecute his suit. Before their interview terminated, the appearance of the beautiful lady was changed into that of the most hideous hag in existence. A witch from the spittle or almshouse would have been a goddess in comparison to the late beautiful huntress. Hideous as she was, Thomas felt that he had placed himself in the power of this hag and when she bade him take leave of the sun, of the leaf that grew on the tree, he felt himself under the necessity of obeying her. A cavern received them in which, following his frightful guide, he for three days travelled in darkness, sometimes hearing the booming of a distant ocean, sometimes walking through rivers of blood which crossed their subterranean path. At length they emerged into daylight in a most beautiful orchard. Thomas, almost fainting for want of food, stretched out his hand towards the goodly fruits which hung around him, but was forbidden by his conductress, who informed him that these were the fate apples, which were the cause of the fall of man. He perceived also that his guide had no sooner entered this mysterious ground and breathed its magic air than she was revived in beauty, equipage and splendour, as fair or fairer than he had first seen her on the mountain. She then proceeded to explain to him the character of the country. Yonder right-hand path, she says, conveys the spirits of the blessed to paradise. Yon downward and well-worn way leads sinful souls to the place of everlasting punishment. The third road, by yonder dark break, conducts to the milder place of pain, from which prayer and mass may release offenders. But see you yet a fourth road, sweeping along the plain to yonder splendid castle. Yonder is the road to Elfland, to which we are now bound. The lord of the castle is king of the country, and I am his I, I am I am his queen, I am. And when we enter yonder castle, you must observe strict silence and answer no question that is asked you. And I will account for your silence by saying, I took your speech when I brought you from Middle Earth. Having thus instructed him, they journeyed onto the castle and, entering by the kitchen, found themselves in the midst of such a festive scene as might become the mansion of a great feudal lord or prince. Thirty carcasses of deer were lying on the massive kitchen board under the hands of numerous cooks who toiled to cut them up and dress them, while the gigantic greyhounds which had taken the spoil lay lapping the blood and enjoying the sight of the slain game. They came next to the royal hall where the king received his loving consort. Knights and ladies, dancing by threes, occupied the floor of the hall. And Thomas, the fatigue of his journey from the Eildon Halls forgotten, went forward and joined in the revelry. 
After a period, however, which seemed to him a very short one, the Queen spoke with him apart and bade him prepare to return to his own country. Now, said the Queen, how long think you that you have been here? Certes, fair lady, answered Thomas, not above these seven days. You are deceived, answered the Queen. You have been seven years in this castle, and it is full time you were gone. Know, Thomas, that the arch-fiend will come to this castle tomorrow to demand his tribute, and so handsome a man as you will attract his eye. For all the world would I not suffer you to be betrayed to such a fate. Therefore up, and let us be going. This terrible news reconciled Thomas to his departure from Elfinland, and the Queen was not long in placing him upon Huntley Bank, where the birds were singing. She took leave of him, and to ensure his reputation bestowed on him the tongue of which could not lie. Thomas in vain objected to this inconvenient and involuntary adhesion to veracity, which would make him, as he thought, unfit for church or for market, for king's court or for lady's bower. But all his remonstrances were disregarded by the lady and Thomas the Rhymer, whenever the discourse turned on the future, gained the credit of a prophet, whether he would or not, for he could say nothing but what was sure to come to pass. Thomas remained several years in his own tower near Ursuldoon and enjoyed the fame of his predictions, several of which are current among the country people to this day. At length, as the prophet was entertaining the Earl of March in his dwelling, a cry of astonishment arose in the village on the appearance of a hart and hind which left the forest and, contrary to their shy nature, came quietly onward traversing the village towards the dwelling of Thomas. The prophet instantly rose from the board and acknowledging the prodigy as the summons of his fate, he accompanied the heart and hind into the forest and though occasionally seen by individuals to whom he has chosen to show himself, he has never again mixed familiarly, uh, familiar, familiarly, oh my goodness, with mankind. There's one word that is a simple word that is not necessary for pronunciation issues but no and that was the end of the story of Thomas of Rhymer. A reoccurring theme surrounding encountering fairies aside from death and insanity is that the person who experienced it holds perhaps a second sight so the ability to see into the other worlds that intersect our mundane world. This was a widespread belief and ability in Scotland historically, perhaps because it was more culturally accepted and therefore more openly discussed. This was seen to be more of a curse, though, than a blessing. According to Druid tradition, talents for prophecy and poetry were not clearly separate and defined as they are in modern day times. So we cannot assume this meant they were referring to the second sight purely being clairvoyance or being psychic. In ancient Irish law, the fairy tradition, there is a shared liminality of the poetic and the prophet being one and the same, or at least two sides of the same coin. Coming back to the point about people who enter the fairy realm being said to be dead already, 
Robert Kirk was a minister, Gaelic scholar and folklorist, best known for The Secret Commonwealth, a treatise on fairy folklore, witchcraft, ghosts and second sight, a type of extrasensory perception described as a phenomenon by the people of the Scottish Highlands. Folklorist Stuart Sanderson and mythologist Marina Warner called Kirk's collection of supernatural tales one of the most important and significant works on the subject of fairies and second sight. So in Kirk's book, The Secret Commonwealth of Elves, Fauns and Fairies, he describes a world of fairies, spirits, wraiths and sprites in a series of stories collected in his travels of the Scottish Highlands before his death in 1692. He was said to be abducted into the fairy realm instead of dying and reportedly appearing to his neighbours who apparently failed to follow the necessary magical procedures to free him from the spell and thus return him to human life as they were in shock. I don't know that I would know what to do if my neighbour told me that they were coming back from being abducted into the fairy realm, to be fair. But coming back to the fairy encounter of Thomas the Rhymer, we see him starting off under a tree, which is said to be Eldon Tree, which stood at Eldon Hill in Scotland. So this tree died before a written historic record. It was passed down via word of mouth alone until a memorial stone was placed on the spot where it once stood. There is some argument as to what type of tree it was said to be. Some assume it's the Hawthorne tree, which is said by many to be a portal into the fairy realm. Others argue it's an oak tree as the descriptions of it in the original ballad would indicate it being very green and tall enough for the fairy queen to ride underneath. So the river of blood that they ride through is said to be from all the blood that's shed on earth. And blood is a poetic rendering for genetic wisdom that is passed through the blood. In the story, it's used as a connection to warfare and violence, representing the darker side of power and poison at the heart of humanity. And by wading through it, it's symbolic of being approached and confronted head on in order to claim whatever power or wisdom we wish to gain from our experiences. It's representative of not denying the darker aspects of ourselves or humankind embracing them so that they do not have power over us. Some real shadow work going on there. The river of blood also relates to our ancestors. So firstly, we see the blood as the form of wisdom passed down genetically. Much of the river of blood from a moral storytelling aspect relates to our facing our shadow self and delving through ancestral wisdom to allow it to inform and guide us. Some accounts of the journey into the fairy realm include the River of Tears, which is said to be those shed by mothers weeping for the loss of their sons in battle. This is representative of humanity's collective pain, darkness within the heart of the human soul that would allow us to inflict pain upon others or to justify cruelty when we see it being inflicted. These tears are cleansing and we become purified by facing our darkness and then resolving through our actions to address it. The River of Tears is also symbolic of stellar consciousness. 
contrasting with the earth consciousness of the river of blood. They are two sides of the same coin, red and white. They are complementary forces working towards the common goal. This also relates to the iron and pearl pentacles as taught by Victor and Cora Anderson that relate to fairy traditions. Iron and pearl are said to be two of the most beloved tools of the fairy witchcraft tradition. The rivers like the pentacles share a common theme, that of confronting weakness, both personal and transpersonal, and their subsequent transformation and reintegration into the self. The stations of the iron pentacle are sex, self, passion, pride, power. The stations of the pearl pentacle are love, wisdom, knowledge, law, power. The iron and pearl pentacles are a meditative and ritual tool for reflecting on the individual with the iron pentacle looking inward to the self and the pearl pentacle looking outward to interaction with the community. More generally, the pentacle can be used to represent a belief in the cycle of life and death, indicating a belief in reincarnation. The points of the pentacle come to represent the five stages of life, birth, youth, adult, mature and death. These life events are contained within the never-ending circle of life and death. In essence, the fairy realm reflects back our ideas or attitudes, assuming the shape and image of what our minds hold, be they positive mental images or negative mental images. It's said that one of the best ways to make contact with the other world is to visualize, using the imagination and journeying. As the primordial landscapes within us begin to materialize, it's said that access to the realm of the Fae will follow. Belief that the other world exists is paramount and this can help you to become a co-walker between the two worlds. So Reverend Robert Kirk, who I referenced earlier, is said to have coined the term co-walker. In his times, it was more commonplace for different forms of the Fae to be seen, to converse with them and to pass physically in and out of the fairy realm. Although our worlds are further apart than ever before, there is still a thread connecting them. We find the thread first in our minds, this thread is said to be a thread held by the goddess of the heavenly realm and that once we grab the thread willingly, she will toss the ball of yarn to which the thread is attached, allowing the ball to drop into the underworld, into the primal land, down into the realm of the fae and the ancestors, down into the level of transmutation. The realm of the Fae is comprised of many other worlds, planes or realms. Each world, plane or realm is located on one of the following three levels, the heavenly realm, the planes or earth and the underworld. Akin to the shaman's traditional concept of the upper world, the middle world and the lower world, each level serves a function. They overlap and deal with different aspects of spiritual evolution. That was a lot, this episode. This could get so deep, and it will, 
because I've decided to record a part two on the fairy realm, as there is so much more that we need to get into regarding this. We don't need to, but I would quite like to. But I hope this episode has been of interest and that it's helped thus far. I know I'm not the best for consistency with the podcast due to other work commitments, but the next episode will be out within a week's time, as I don't want to keep you waiting. I don't want to drag this out. If you enjoyed this episode, and Talk of the Fae, I have a shadow work journey over on Patreon that takes you through your own personal journey through the fairy realm as we've heard about it today and helps you look at your own personal shadow self. There is also a folklore retelling related to the Fae, Hedgewitch studies relating to fairy herbs, a podcast episode on the Fae and the Hawthorn tree, which is one of my fave podcasts to make, Our theme for this month over on Patreon is Psychic Witch, where this month we are delving into the supernatural, so some ghost stories, but more importantly, how to connect with your psychic intuition. (laughs) I keep reading that as psycho intuition, and I'm more than capable of connecting with that. In a nutshell, it's £6 a month to join Patreon. You can cancel at any time, and for £6 you receive a monthly witchcraft-themed folklore, fairy tale retelling, a meditation, Patreon podcast episode, Hedgewitch Studies. We have an ever-growing witchy community over on Discord. They are wonderfully supportive, funny, great bunch of witches. You'll be right at home in there. We have a monthly workshop and access to the Literary Witches Coven where we read a book together each month and discuss it together. I just want to give a massive shout out to all the wonderful Patreons that support my work. You are lovely. You are fantastic. I am ever so grateful to you. Thank you all so much. There are so many of you. And on that note, the Patreon's been going for a little while now. So if you do join, you will have access to a ton of content. I'll be back soon to continue with our journey into the fairy realm. Have a great week, witches. Lots and lots of witchy love. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.